I want you guys to know something. That I, I love this church dearly. I, uh, when Mark got up, and um, I always say this, I should take him around wherever I go, but I was, I was overcome with, a, with emotion because it does feel like this is family. It doesn't feel like we, we guests here. Uh, the way you guys have embraced us, the way you've embraced our family um, is, is, like, is like family. Uh, I don't feel at all like I'm a foreigner here. I feel like I'm one of you. And I want you guys to know something. When your church hurts, we hurt. And when you guys celebrate, we celebrate. And uh, your victory is our victory. And I know there's been some tough times. I know there's been some, some, some good times. I know you have uh, seen God be faithful. And I want you to know that we're walking every single step with you. Not because we get any benefits out of it other than we get to see you guys walk into everything that God's got for you. And uh, we're cheering you on. We know that our success is tied to your success. We cannot be a strong and step out into what God's got for us unless you guys obey and follow what God's got for you. Because we are partnered together. We are, I love, you Americans have a term called grandfathered in. Uh, We are grandfathered in with you. We are in this together. And uh, the, the value of friendship for us is a big thing. Um. And uh, I want you to know that, that we love you guys. Um, not just Mark and Kara. As much as they are amazing and their family is amazing and we love them, but we have grown to love every single one of you. Uh, seeing Hawk and Deb, it's like seeing a long-lost grandparent that was found many years back. <laughs> a very young one. But uh, as, we've, as we've got to know more and more of you and we hope that we can Get to know many more of you. Honestly, it is, it is our hearts are knitted together. Um, and we love you guys dearly. And I think uh, something of what I want to share with you today is not, might not be new. It might not be uh, the, the most amazing revelation. But I feel like it is speaking into something of your future and strengthening you guys for what you're doing now for the sake of the future. Um, there's two... Two prophetic pictures I want to paint before I get into what I get because it will, it will give you context. And I was sitting uh, in a church last week, Sunday, and God put this picture in my heart. And I was like, do I share it now? Is it something that's for this meeting? And it just kept on coming back over and over. And an opportunity did not arise. And I sort of just shelved it and forgot about it. And when I was preparing for, to preach here, this picture just came back to me. And I knew it was for you guys. And uh, it was one of, I don't know if you've ever watched a movie called Cutthroat's Island. But it's about this, uh, this person who goes, uh, the pirate goes on this adventure to try and find this treasure. And part of it is she has to put this uh, a treasure map together. But part of it is, uh, one part of it is stuck to a barrel of a, you know, a, a barrel in a ship. And then she breaks it open. Then another part is on a man's head. Then she skins the man's head and puts it. And finally, after all these challenges, she puts this map together. And I feel like something of your... Your, your past and something of what you guys have gone through is to put a map together and everything is played in. Every good moment, every bad moment, every growth moment, every shrinking moment, every challenge you faced is to put this, this, this treasure map together that leads to treasure. And I saw three people opening the treasure and uh, the church we went to started another site and there were three men and I thought it was those three and God did not let that word go. 
And I honestly believe it's the three eldership couples that are sitting here. And I saw them opening this chest. And there was this, this treasure. And the treasure wasn't what we would think it would be. Gold and, sorry, I'm not prophesying gold and gold bars for this church. Although those, those will come. But it was, a, it was a, a set of plans. It was this plan of, this blueprints of something of what God wanted to do. And I, I honestly, in my heart, it felt like God has put everything together to give you this plan of the future of saying, here it is. There's something new I want to do. There's something unique I want to do. There's something that, that might not look like it has for the last, how many years? 11 years. The last 11 years have been amazing and have led us to this place. But the next 11 might look very different. Not wrong. Not ungodly. Different. And are you prepared to embrace that? Because it's part of God's kingdom. It's part of your inheritance. And off, off, on the back of that, I want to I share what I want to share today. Because I do feel like God is setting you guys up for success. I feel like God is setting up on success in a number of different areas. I feel like God is setting up success to, to, to say, as a leadership team, there's a, there's a new way to do things. Are you prepared to, to, to get rid of the old and embrace the new? And then church, is there a new way that you're prepared to get off? And I don't know if you're allowed to say this in America, but get off your butt and get in the game. Yeah. And I want, you to, I, want, I want to throw a disclaimer in here. Mark is not preempted anything the eldership team i haven't even i've had i had a a dinner with the guys and that is it and we did not talk anything spiritual i'm sorry we are we are mere men we spoke about manly things uh but there was no spiritual conversation so everything that i have to say or any challenge i have to throw out comes from god and from the word of god and not from a conversation i've had with anyone but i honestly believe it's time to get in the game there's this, there's this phrase or this word that is thrown out and is seen that is in Scripture of the priesthood of all believers. And it's not just one man doing the work of God, but it's the priesthood of all believers. Online, if you call this home, if you are here today, I'm assuming this is home. Or if you're visiting, I'm sorry, but you don't get Mark, you get me. Come back next week, it'll probably be better. But if this is home, it's time to get off the seat off the bench and say, actually, God's got a plan and a purpose for my life. And I want to see Him fulfill that. I want to see uh, God use me in this place to fulfill His plan and His purpose. That is God's purpose. That is God's plan. Um, uh, there's a, a, a picture and a, a, a verse that I hold on to and I've held on to in this time. And it's something, if, if you look at the picture of it, it's something that describes the world we live in. And in Luke 12, verses 22, there's 31. I know I didn't give it to you guys at the back. Don't worry. Um, I'm going to reference it. But it's, uh, it is the disciples. And um, no, it's not. Sorry. It, in Luke 8, verses 22 to 20, 25, it's the disciples sitting in the boat. And there's a storm going on around them. There is this massive storm. Now, I'm sure you have heard a preach around this because many great preachers like to preach the scripture. Many great preachers like to preach the scripture from the perspective of there's a storm going around us, but Jesus is in the boat. And that is true. But if we look around us, politically, 
uh, socially, everything Lee, there is a storm. We feel like we're in the middle of a storm. For the last year, it's been like that for us in South Africa. It has been like that for you in America. I don't have to start pointing fingers. I don't have to start mentioning names. But there is a storm going on. Agreed. Can we agree on that thing? And yes, Jesus in the boats. And yes, we can wake Jesus up like the disciples did because they were, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what to do. Now, now you gotta remember something about the disciples. These were fishermen. Ooh, good catch, Darren. Well done. So my wife was on sheepers. I thought, what happened there? She dropped my child and I thought the Holy Spirit was out there and, uh, it's just an iPad, but thank you. Um, the, the disciples were, were fishermen. They had, they had grown up in boats. They had fished all their life. And this was a storm that was bigger than they could handle. And many of us might be in a place where we are feeling like this is too much to handle. And, and, and they turned to Jesus and woke him up. And he said to them in verse 25, he said, where is your faith? And I feel like in this time, now, now, now listen to what I'm saying because you can misunderstand it. Don't turn to Jesus and wake him up. Just remind yourself, where's your faith in? Because Jesus is there. Jesus is not gone. Jesus is not left. He's always here. But it's our perspective. It's our faith that, that needs to get challenged. Is Where is your faith? Is your faith in the storm settling? Is your faith in, in, in something changing? Or is your faith in the fact that Jesus is in the boat? And if he's sleeping, we can sleep. Because he is in control. I want to throw another disclaimer in here. I'm not angry. I love you. I've, I've got a red beard. I, I, it can come across that I'm angry. But I'm just passionate about the things of God. And for too long, I have seen and I've watched men and women just sit back and let life dictate how they live out their Christianity. I'm saying, it's time for the church. Every single one of us to get off the bench and start changing the game. Because I don't care about the storm. I care about who's in my boat. And right now he's sleeping because he's in control of everything. If we let fear dictate how we live our lives. Now, I don't know why you're at home. I don't know what your opinion on COVID is. I don't know what your opinion on anything is. But when I woke up today and there's a whole bunch of white stuff outside, I got very scared. Because in Africa, that, we don't see stuff like that. But if I let fear decide how I live my life, that is going to lead me to becoming an angry, a frustrated, and a hopeless person. And if I read my Bible, if I know my Jesus, those are polar opposites to what I see in the Bible. If I see what a Christian should be, we should be men and women who are not angry, who are not frustrated, and are not hopeless. But too often we let fear dictate how we live. And we let other things dictate how we should act and how we should conduct ourselves. And I'm saying it's, why? Why? Surely it's enough. It should be enough to say I'm not going to let someone else or something else dictate how I'm going to live. Because I know my God is in the boat with me. I know He is asleep. He is in control. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Watching as everything happens because he knows he is in control and he knows how it ends. So in the backdrop of, of, of that prophetic picture, in the backdrop of that scripture that I just said, I want to launch into to what I've got. 
1 Corinthians 12 verses 27 to 31. We see this and it says, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. So you might say, Craig, this is a, surely you should be speaking to the elders about this. Um, because it is this picture of how, a, how a, a local church is put together. It is this picture of a summing of, of, of what God's plan is. But, uh, but it is important for us to understand this because we read this and we say, and I've been in many churches who say we want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We want to see signs, wonders, and miracles. We want to see everyone going to everything that, 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 they, that they've got in God. But we neglect to see that God has a pattern for us and we need to follow it. And that pattern is as important for Mark and Kara as they lead this church, they lead this eldership team. It is important for Andy and Chris and their families as they're on this team. And it is as important for every single one of us who call this home to understand that God has a pattern, a pattern, a has a pattern, has a pattern. God has a pattern. And if we want to see signs, wonders, and miracles, if we want to see God do amazing things, there's some things that we have to stop and say there's a way God does things. And I almost feel like it's those foundations today. God's going to give us something of a foundation to say, how there's this new plan that you've got. There's this new purpose. There's this new sort of way, um, impact rock might look into the future. But the foundation is the same. If you come to our old church back home, we don't have a new church yet, but if you go to our old church back home in Cornerstone, the foundation is exactly the same as this church. Why? Because we're Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people, and God has a biblical pattern, not determined by denomination, not determined by culture, not determined by anything, determined by the Word of God. And if we want to see a church that is impacting the community, if we want to see a church that is, is performing signs, wonders, and miracles, if we want to see a church that is going into everything God's got for us, there's a pattern that God has for us in Scripture. There's a pattern that you need to live your life by in Scripture. There's a pattern that you need to build anything on that is found in Scripture for us to have significance in the kingdom of God. So let's look at these things. It says, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. And you say, well, there, disqualified straight away. I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet, and I'm not a teacher. I'm saying, no, Paul is speaking to a church in Corinthian and trying to help them understand what aspects, what, 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 he's using picture language of saying, you understand what a prophet is, you understand what a prophet is, you understand what a teacher is, you understand these gifts, you understand that these, that these, these, these people carry these gifts, but the gift that they have, the thing that they do is what we need. So, yes, it says um, um, apostle, but what does apostle do? Apostle helps us identify our purpose. Apostle helps you identify your purpose. So what is the first thing we need? Is a purpose. What is our purpose? 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Love, love, yourself, love your neighbor. Go into all the world and tell, tell them about Jesus. There's, if you cannot read this Bible and find purpose, then you need to get on your knees and say, God, help me. Because it is dripping with purpose. There is Acts 1 verse 8. When you receive power, the Spirit of God will make you witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. There is purpose all the, all the way. But are we a men and woman that is living with a purpose? Or are we just sitting back spectating and saying, well, life can happen, church can happen, um, the world can happen, I'm just going to spectate and watch what will happen and say, no, we are designed for, with a purpose. The moment you were saved, there was this spiritual transaction that happened that Jesus reached out from heaven and shoved purpose straight into your heart. The one thing we should not be as Christians is have no purpose. We shouldn't be sitting there thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where my job is. Yes, that might be true. Physically, you might not have a job, but you still have purpose. There's still a plan and a purpose for your life. Not dictated by circumstances, dictated by the Bible. Then it says, second, prophets. The first thing we need is purpose. The second thing we need and what prophets do. The problem when we read the Bible with our, with our cultural understanding of how we see things and maybe the, the church background we come, come from, we can be so confused. The ch- prophets are not fortune tellers. The gift of prophecy is not to go to someone and say, oh, you got prophecy, Let me, can you just tell me what my future is? No, the gift of a prophet is to remind us about the purpose. It's prophetically reminding us there's a purpose. It's prophetically reminding us to say, make sure your vision is clear on the purpose. It's prophetically saying, I'm feeling like God is saying this and wanting to remind us again about the plans and the purpose that he has for us. Jesus, the whole of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus t- teaches us a whole lot. He, he, he lays down his life. He dies. He's resurrected. He's at the, the, the right hand of the Father. Um, the rest of the Bible happens based on those things that happened in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The rest of the Bible helps us prophetically hold the vision in front of us to say, because of Jesus, we should live a different way. So when it comes to the prophetic, when it comes to reminding us about what Jesus says, if it goes contrary to Scripture, it is wrong. The gift of prophecy, the only realm it has authority, is in Scripture. So yes, there might be, I feel like God might be calling you somewhere. I feel like God, because that's in, the, that's in Scripture. So it might be, I don't see New York in the Scriptures, but I see commissioning. I see sending out. I see all those things happen in Scripture, but I feel like too often we've looked to the prophetic to find our hope because they see the future or they can, they've got this like sixth sense about what's going on. No, God gives them the ability to give the church hope that we can fulfill the purposes of God that we have. That's the role of the prophetic. So the first thing is perfect. Purpose. The second thing is prophetic. We have to have vision. We have to see what God is doing. You might have heard um, as other guys have preached, maybe Mark's preached this, but uh, we often, as NCMIs, as partnering churches, we call ourselves 
apostolic prophetic people. And that's not because we're high and mighty and we're the apostles and the prophets of everything. It's because we are people who are willing to go and we're people that see the need for what God is doing. That's what apostolic prophetic means. Apostolic going, prophetic seeing. What, what are we seeing? The purpose of the church. Then the next thing is, is teachers. Third, teachers. Now this word, teachers, is not how we, and if you're a school teacher, I love you, um, not many years ago, but um, it, it's not the, the traditional teacher word that we, that we see now. This word, teachers, means discipleship. It means instructing. It means making disciples. Does that sound familiar? Making disciples? That's our purpose. That's what we are for. So this, this, this third teachers, the third foundational block that needs to be in place is we need to be a people that are pioneering. And not pioneering as going to other places for the sake of going. No, we are going to New York because there's unsafe people there. Because they need to become disciples. That's why we're going. That's why we're pioneering. That's why on every level we're saying, how can we pioneer the gospel into Erie, into the greater place around Erie, and into Denver, and into the USA, and into Colorado, and into all these places. We're saying, are we willing to pioneer? Are we, re- are we willing to step out, participate in what God's got for us, and help disciple, help instruct, help teach someone to become more like Christ? But it's too convenient to say, come to church, and I'll help you from the pulpit. Yes, that's true. But it requires you actually taking, by, taking them by the hand and saying, let me teach you. This is relationship. This is me getting out and saying, let me teach you. If you come with me, we can, I can make you a disciple with a vision from God, with, a, with a, 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 a Jesus meeting them and giving them salvation and all of that. We have a part to play. You see, it doesn't say go into all the world and tell them about Jesus. It says go into all the world and make disciples. It's good to make, it, yes, discipleship starts with salvation. But too many times we're just so quick to get everyone saved. And we report about millions of people getting saved in crusades. And I'm, I just sit there and I'm like, it's like a million newborn babies that have been birthed and just left there. We have a responsibility to make them a disciple. Because that is them understanding salvation and walking into everything God's got for them. You, you see, the next thing it says, it says, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. You see, when these three foundational blocks are in place, it gives way, it's, it's this pipeline to say, the Spirit of God is poured out. And all it describes is, if, is, is, is ways that the Spirit uses us. It uses us in healing. It uses us in, in gifts of tongues. It uses us in helping one another. It uses us in administrating the church. Yes, that is a gift from God. I don't have it. But some people do. And it's a spiritual gift. There's this, there's this the release. God wants to release His kingdom through us. But it is hitched up because there's foundational blocks that aren't in place. And I'm saying, church, don't neglect those. Don't neglect your purpose. Don't neglect what God has called you to do. What we find in Scripture. Don't forget. Don't, don't, don't lose the prophetic vision of what we are called to do. And don't stop pioneering. Don't stop making disciples. With those things in place, 
God can release His kingdom through us. And then there's this, there's this little verse at the end, there's this little phrase, and it says, in verse 31, it says, And I will show you a still more excellent way. Some translations say, a supremely excellent way to live. I will, sh- I will show unto you a more excellent way, the New King James Version says. The Greek translation of that little phrase is a supremely excellent way. In other words, it's the best way to live, the best way that we could ever imagine. And I just want to spend a couple minutes looking at that. Because the church, can do, we can do everything to put the foundational blocks in place. And we can see the Spirit of God uh, uh, move. And we can see signs, wonders, and miracles. But actually, it comes down to every single one of us becoming more like Christ. And I feel like, like, like this, this, this 1 Corinthians 13, because if you look in your Bible, you have your Bible, the very next thing is 1 Corinthians 13. And that verse has been relegated, uh, relegated is the right word, yes, has been, has been put down to, you just read that at, at weddings. Every good wedding you go to, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is this, love is that, and it's great. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. But if you look at scholars, if you look at, at, at commentators on this, they say this is their foundational scripture on discipleship. It is up there with, with some of the scriptures in Romans. It is, it is the most fundamental scripture to understand if you want to know what it means to become more like Christ. And sometimes we've just, we've just thrown it in there just to feel good. Or we've thrown it in there to put on a... a, a in South Africa, they've done this. They've put it onto a, uh, a, ta- a tapestry and put it in your bathroom. So when someone goes to the toilet, they can know love is kind and love is this and love is that. But I'm saying, I say, church, we need to take 1 Corinthians 13. We need to apply it to our lives. And something of God's kingdom needs to explode in our lives. So we're going to look at it. And uh, in, in, in the last bit, we're going to hopefully let that just challenge us. Okay, so let's, you, you probably all know it, um, you, you probably can uh, recite it many times, but let's go, it says, if I speak in tongues, I'm just going to not use that, I, I love the Bible, I have it all here, I promise, I'm not reading something else, it says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have no love, no love I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal, the, the first thing we need to understand because we're looking at this through the lenses of saying there's fundamentals that God, that, that God instructed Paul to speak about in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 12 on how the church needs to be set up, how we need to set up everything. We need to put these, these, these sort of these banks in place, these foundations in place. And then he goes on and he says, if you speak in tongues of men and of angels but have no love, you are just a noisy gone on a clanging symbol. What is he saying about the Christian life? The first thing is, without the love of God, you actually just offend everyone. If I had to take a symbol and I had to bash it in your, in your ear non-stop, you would ask me to stop. And if I didn't stop, you would ask me again. And if I didn't stop, you would take the drumstick out of my hand and you would beat me with it. Because it would be frustrating. That is exactly how we are as Christians if we do not Know and walk in the love of God. Paul 
the image he was using is when you left the temple and you went into the, the city of Corinth, there was, um, you would walk down the road and there would just be every religion and every person promoting their God with clanging symbols and incense and uh, trying to get your attention. And he was saying, it was, it, it's offensive. It's offensive to walk around in this world. And he's saying, actually, as Christians who don't know and don't walk in the love of God, we are actually offensive to others. And then verse 2, it says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Without this love, without understanding this love, I am nothing. That is the second thing. If uh, a, a commentator put it this way, If loveless activity repels people from church and the gospel, thus being the single obstacle to effective witness in in a community or a nation, it is also the very thing that that removes the Christian's significance before God. If loveless activity repels people from church and the gospel, it is the single, it is, it is the thing that removes significance before God. Now I'm saying, God help me. If loveless activity repels people from church, it repels me from God. And I'm saying, I've got an I've got a emotional understanding of love. I've got this fairy understanding. And let, let's look at, a, at, at, at it further. And it says, in verse 3, it's not just doom and gloom, I promise you. It says, if I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I am nothing. Without love, we gain nothing. So the first three things, the absence of love we see in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 to 3. The absence of love, if we do not have Christ's love in our lives, we are offensive, we have nothing, and we gain nothing. Actually, basically, dot, 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 I am nothing. Then we go in verse 4 and we see this message, this passage of scripture, because most good pastors, when they do a wedding, they would just rush through 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, 3, and then we'll get on to 4, because 4 is where the substance is. It says, love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, and the bride and the groom are busy knocking each other. Um, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not uh, irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, endures in all things. That is so true. That is a passage of scripture that Paul is writing to demonstrate and to, to write a list of, of the actions that a relationship with Jesus produces. He's trying to help us understand that you can take the word love away and you should insert Jesus and all those things should be true about the way you live. It should say Jesus is free from jealousy. Jesus and a life with Jesus is free from boastfulness. A life with Jesus is free from self-centeredness. A life with Jesus is free from from self-seeking. A life with Jesus is free from unrestrained anger. A life with Jesus is free from resentment. Paul was trying to help the church in Corinth understand that to be a Christian, we need to be different because we've encountered Jesus. Jesus' love has impacted us and it changes the way we live. 
And let's be honest, I'm sure 99.99999 recurring to the nearest 9% of us have heard someone in their life say, I love church, I love the idea of Jesus, but I do not like Christians. Because most of us in our life have come up to try to share the love of God in some way we can, but has landed up being judgmental, has landed up being arrogant, we've been called bigots, we've been called many things, and I'm saying that is true for many of us because we are not filtering our lives with the love of Christ. We are not operating at a place where we love Jesus, and that is the overflow of our hearts, and I'm saying it's time to get off the bench and change the way we live our lives. Because it says love is free from jealousy. And I want to challenge us a little bit. Love is free from racism. Jesus is free from racism. Jesus and his love is free from being judgmental. Jesus and his love is free from being arrogant. Jesus and his love is free from the love of money. You can insert any problem that the world is having right now. And the solution is Jesus. Jesus' love is free from that thing. This is not just a feel-good love. This is not just something that we put down to say, you know what, I love chocolate. And then we say, I love Jesus. No, this is a transforming, radically redefining our lives, this love of Christ that God wants to give us. The po- if, if we just think back, the apostles would have been rather surprised at the concept that Jesus had, had been scourged and beaten by soldiers, cursed and crowned with thorns, subjected to indescribable scorn, had been finally nailed to a cross where he was left to bleed and die in order that we may all just feel good. But that's how we describe love. Because it's a feeling. It's an emotion. No, friends. It's a radical way of living. I I don't demonstrate my love for my wife by telling her. I do it by showing her. We don't demonstrate how we love Christ and say we're Christians by the way we speak because we can speak one way and act a different way. It's time to stop spectating, blaming other people and it's time to participating in loving Christ and loving people because that's how we show the world we're different. It's not hopeless. Please don't, get, please don't like, be depressed. Uh, Verse 8 is this amazing. It says, love never ends. It literally means it will never fall. It will never collapse. Love never ends. A relationship with Jesus never ends. More of Jesus. You never get to a place of of there's just just enough. Uh, You see, when we read 1 Corinthians 4 verses 7, it describes the nature of this love. The nature of this love is free from these things. And now when we read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 13, it describes the endlessness of this love. And that is encouraging. That is uplifting because that shows us that Jesus is the solution. It's not maybe, let's add Jesus, let's add something else, let's add something else, and then we can actually do this. No, it's the endlessness of love. It's the endlessness of pursuing Jesus. It's the endlessness of saying, Jesus is everything. It says his love never ends. For prophecies will pass away, and gift of tongues will pass, of, pass away. Pass away. They will cease as for knowledge. It will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but the perfect comes. Oh, sorry, but when the perfect comes, 
the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. There's a maturing process that God wants to bring us. As we pursue this endlessness of Christ, we mature and become more like Christ. There's a process of becoming more like Jesus. Yes, we're justified, but there's the sanctified. There's this process that God wants to take us on as a church and as believers to say, we are more like Christ. Less of us and more of Him. And I love this in verse 14, because this, I mean verse 12, but this makes Christianity worth something. And it says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but, when, but then face to face, now I know in parts, then I shall know fully. Even if I have been, even, even as I have been fully known. What Paul is writing there is we have the privilege of going into a bathroom and there's a mirror on the wall and we can see whether you like what you like or you don't like what you like. God's given it to you. Be happy with it. But uh, in the old days, they didn't have mirrors and they had to take a piece of metal and they had to rub that metal as much as they can to try and see something. To try and see some image. And Paul's saying, we see in a mirror dimly. But the more we work at our Christianity, the more we work at our life, the more we plow into Jesus and love Jesus and pursue Him, we will know Him more. So the more we work at our Christianity and shine this Christianity that we have to become more like Christ, we will see Jesus more. It is a guarantee. You can put it all in on him and say, I'm pursuing you above everything. I'm saying no to unfulfilled sexual relationships. I'm saying no to to, uh, uh, addictions. I'm saying no to, to arrogance. I'm saying no to other things. I'm putting it all in on you, Jesus. And I guarantee you, sir, I guarantee you, ma'am, you will see more of Jesus. So the charge is this. If Impact Rock majors on tongues being personal gifts, prophecy being public ministry, and knowledge how much we know about God, the scripture and scripture focuses our attention on faith, on who Jesus is and and, and what he can do for us. Hope in Jesus and His perfect plan. And the greatest of, of these is love. Why? Our priorities are all around what you love. The greatest of these is love. If we major on all these, if we, if we try and major on, uh, on tongues and the, and the, pers- uh, the, the, the um, public gifts and our personal gifts and that, the scripture is saying no, major on faith. What is faith? It's faith in Jesus and what He can do. Hope. It's, it's our hope that Jesus and His plan is perfect. And the greatest of these is love. It's If you love Jesus, your actions will follow. That's why love is the greatest. Love is the only thing that is going to get us to heaven. Love is the only thing that is going to change our behavior. Our love in Jesus is the only thing that is going to change this world. John Stott said this about 1 Corinthians 13. He said it is, when it is applied to a lo- local church, it becomes dynamite. It un- uncovers all our weaknesses, gaps, failures, and sins in any Christian community. But there is hope. But 
There is a future. And my, my, my prayer today, and my prayer for the future, is I do believe God's shaking. And I do believe, whatever you want to say about COVID, I, I, I do believe that there is a God purpose in this. But we can go back to life as it was and just be like, we're going to do the same things. Or God's given us the opportunity to look at our lives, examine our lives and say, why do you do certain things? Why do you live a certain way? Why do you, why do you conduct yourself a certain way? And the hope is if we pursue Jesus, that can change. And I'm not speaking to, to you as I have it perfect because I'm in the exact same place as you. Saying I'm sick and tired of the church being known for what we fight against and what we hate. And we don't like this, we don't like this. I'm saying I want my church that's going to happen in New York. I want uh, the church that is led by this couple and this team to be known for who we love. I want my life, I want my family to be like, I would love it if people when we leave can say, Something's different about them. The way they conduct themselves, the way they live. It's not by because, you know, my shadow passes and people fall over. That would be amazing. But that was a result of a man pursuing Jesus. So if we want to see signs, wonders, and miracles, we want to see God doing wonderful and abundance and, and, and these amazing things, it has to start with us saying, I'm no longer going to just spectate. I'm going to participate in the kingdom. I'm going to participate in my Christianity. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to fall more in love with Jesus. I'm going to pursue him because when I am pursuing him above everything, I'm free from those things. And I don't know how to get free from them. We've created all, and I'm not bashing them. I'm not saying they're bad. They have their purpose. But we've created places where people can get rehabilitated from everything. And I'm saying, no, more of Jesus rehabilitates you from everything. Because more of him, we are set free. The devil has no room. There's nothing that can hold us back. Can I pray with you? If you'd like this, let's stand. If you're at home, uh, you can stand. You can just lift your hands. You can do something. But look, God, as as we stand, as we lift our hands up, as we open our hearts, I pray, Lord God, for every single one of us. I pray that we'll look at Scripture and we'll see that there is a, a plan and a purpose. There's a, there's a, 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 a blueprint. There's a, a pattern that, you, that we see in Scripture. And that pattern revolves around you, Jesus. It revolves around an a ability and an understanding to say we have purpose. Prophetically, we have vision. We can see it. We're willing to step out and pioneer in that place. In that place of understanding, those are the foundational blocks, Lord God. We are impacted by your love. We are undone by your love. We are overwhelmed by your love. And we realize that it's your endless love that's going to carry us, that's going to transform us, that is going to impact our love, our life. And we will not be the same. And I pray right now, Lord God, as hearts are open, I pray as John Stock, Stock described, I pray that there will be explosions going off in our hearts where, where our sin will be revealed, where we will know that we are hopeless, that we are so, we fall short so much. But I pray in that moment when that explosion goes off, the hope will come when we encounter more of you, Jesus. When we encounter more of your love, because your love is free from those things. I pray, Lord God, where men and women are struggling with addiction, 
I pray it will be broken right now. I pray for men and women that are, are struggling with, uh, with uh, uh, just trying to break patterns, break thought patterns, break patterns that have been caught them up, that, that they've been caught up and it's dictated how they've lived, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that, your, that this explosion will go off in their hearts, that they'll receive your love in the process and receive hope, Lord God. Lord God, I pray. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. Uh, people at home have their reason for being at home. People at God have their reasons for being here. But I pray over Impact Rock, Lord God, that apathy will be broken. That laziness or entitlement to say, I don't have to do this. We pay people to do this will be broken, Lord God. And there will be an understanding that we are called as a, as a priesthood of all believers to represent you, to pursue you. And Lord God, in that place, Lord God, to establish your kingdom. And I pray the testimony will be men and women getting off the bench and participating. Lord God, I pray that the testimony of this church from now on, Lord God, will be men and women getting off and participating in your kingdom. And those men and women will become game changers. Game changers for your kingdom, Lord God. There is gifts inside of every single one of them. Every single person standing, every single person with their hands up, every single person trusting for this. There is gifts that are inside of them that your kingdom needs, Lord God. And I pray that you will release that right now as they pursue you, Jesus. I pray, Lord God, as they take up their Christianity, as they shine this piece of metal, as they work at their Christianity, as they say, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to pursue you above everything, every single day. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible. I pray that they will see you, Jesus. And it won't become a duty-driven thing. It will become a, I need you more and more, Jesus. Because I want to be set free more and more. I am sick and tired of being being angry. I'm sick and tired of being jealous. I'm sick and tired of something else or someone else determining how I live my life. I want you, Jesus. I want more of you. Change behavioral patterns. Change uh, uh, minds, Lord God. Renew spirits right now, Lord Jesus. And Lord God, I want to pray that if there's anyone who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that wherever they are right now, they will ask you to come into their life and say, I need Jesus. I need a rewiring of my mind and my heart. I need Jesus' love to impact my heart. I cry out to you, Jesus, and I say, more of you, Jesus. I commit my life into your hands. I need you. Please come and be my Lord and Savior. God, I pray for every single one of us. Great sanctification, becoming more like you, Lord God, will, will take place in our lives. More of you, Jesus. Because if we be honest with ourselves, we would love to see your glory poured out into this earth, Lord God. We'd love to see your glory. We'd love to see your spirit poured out abundantly. And I pray we'll make the adjustments in our lives, Lord God.